Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Past Imperfect. I'm Alice Thompson. And I'm Rachel Sylvester. And we're talking to remarkable people who've overcome adversity or trauma in their childhood years to achieve extraordinary things. Our guest this week was a pudding bowl haired boy from the small seaside town of Helensburg near Glasgow, who discovered feathers, lashes and purple to become Britain's biggest drag queen and an international superstar. Winning the UK's RuPaul's Drag Race is no easy feat. It requires more than just sequence and tape, but years of training and sweat under those corsets. But it was their battles to come to terms with their journey from outcast of the playground that moved even their harshest critics and caused them to sashay away with the prize. For years, drag has been underground, but Lawrence has helped boys to stop feeling embarrassed if they wanted to try on their sisters' dresses. Lawrence Cheney, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I, what nice things to say about me. Do I need to pay you for these compliments? <laughs> well, you may need to tell us what you're wearing because you look sensational. <laughs> and Rachel and I are looking really particularly boring today. So we're both in navy never, blue trousers. And never. you, you are wearing a sort of regal purple yeah. gown. This is a purple... Uh, I, from afar, I look like an old theatre curtain, you know, big and velvety. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so I've got... a. Uh, uh, a crown on my head, but it's like sculpted out of hair. Um, and purple yeah, it's a hair. big purple hair. Everything's purple. <laughs> Always. It's got to match the colour of my knees. We should have dressed up as your bridesmaids because actually your train <laughs> is so long yeah. that you need someone really to yeah. hold it, don't you? Never. I would never make you do that. <laughs> I think I'd quite like to. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm rather impressed you're actually wearing plimsolls or trainers underneath, not heels. Because like, you have to run around. Tell any, <laughs> don't tell anyone. Yeah, no, I am. This is the thing. Because I'm flashing about and life's been so busy since Drag Race, see if it hits the floor... If your dress is big enough, your outfit's big enough, wear plimsoll. <laughs> You've got to do it. You've got to do what's most comfortable for you at the end of the day. Except yeah. that makeup must have taken more than 10 minutes, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, it, it took me about two hours and 10 minutes. Yeah. And I want some after, I think. I think that's that. Have you got, <laughs> have you got a spare two hours yeah. and 10 minutes? Well, a bit of mascara wouldn't hurt. Yeah. Really. <laughs> do, do you do it all yourself still? All myself still. It's weird because normally I think when people are propelled into the kind of spotlight, I think people try and get like a glam squad or a team. But I, I do my own kind of makeup still. I used to sew my own costumes, but now because of how busy I am, I have to kind of outsource a wee bit more now. But um, yeah, I'm, I, I still am very like I was before Drag Race. So who made that outfit? Because you've got the train has got a sort of ermine edging to yes, it. Yes, I love how fabulous you described that. <laughs> I, I would have just gone, it's a bit of fluff. It's a wee bit of fluff round the end. But um, yeah, so this was done by a drag queen called Marmalade from Cardiff. 
And um, I love marmalade, the drag queen and the food <laughs> stuff. So, um, yeah, no, I, they have such a good style. And I love supporting kind of other queer people as well. I think putting money in the bank accounts of queer people who are trying to pay rent is a good thing. So, um any excuse for a lovely outfit and uh, to uplift a drag queen, I'm, I'm there. And we want to take you back to your childhood if it's not too painful. Take me back. Mm-hmm. We, so take me back. You were born in Helensburg, which is about 40 minutes from Glasgow. Yes. Which, as you said, was full of sort of charity shop wars and <laughs> picnic spots and was quite small-minded, wasn't it, for a boy who yeah. probably didn't have big ambitions then but certainly does now. Well, it's, it's weird you say... Not big emissions. I knew from the moment I can remember, you know, so what, about five or six, something like that. I knew I always wanted to be a star. I knew I wanted to be famous. I knew it it wasn't a theatre success kind of thing. I knew I wanted to be famous. And I remember... Of course, any six-year-old says that. You go, who raised you, Lady Muck, you know? (laughs) But I I always knew there was something about it that I loved. I loved looking up to old movie stars and how glamorous that life was and how much work they put into their image. Everything about them was so kind of calculated, and I loved that. So I I think being in Helensburg was a weird... Um, duality between my personality as well because I, I was thinking I was the big superstar but I was in Helensburg where it is like you said charity shops and you know closed down shops and a co-op maybe if you're lucky mm. but that's that was literally it. And you lived with your mum Phyllis and your dad Nick and your sister Tamsin. Did yes. you feel very different from the other boys in your class at school? Do you know it's weird because in primary school, no. In in primary school, initially, because when your mum starts sending you out to school, you all have bowl cuts, you all have the Velcro shoes that no one <laughs> likes, but they're easy to put on. You know, we all are weirdos when we go to primary school. But <laughs> this is when you're thinking, I wasn't a weirdo. I didn't have Velcro shoes. Um, but it's, tr- it's true, you know, we all... Are, are unique in our own way, shall we say, at that age. But I found everyone else growing up and then they'd start talking about dating each other and all this. And I remember being like, why do you want to do that for? D- dating women? Oh, I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if that's that's very me. And um, yeah, it, it, that's when I kind of first started seeing isolation. And then it wasn't until I moved down south that I really saw a big change in in people's attitudes towards me. Yes, because you, your early years did sound very protected by your parents, but that move south to Newbury, which is even Whoa. more, well, not exactly small-minded, but it's it's very proper and correct yes. and southern, isn't it? Yeah, and if there's and, anyone that isn't proper yeah. and correct, it's me. And you must have been <laughs> the only one with a Scottish accent in your Velcro trainers. Yes, I, I really, really was, and I... I remember the first week I started, everyone would call me the most horrible names. I was, you you fat ginger, this and that. It was really, really nasty things they would say. And it was always, you fat Scottish ginger, this, this. And in my head, I was like, I'm not even ginger. So get your facts <laughs> straight. You know, but it, it's so sad because back then, all that there was, your know, Scottish representation-wise, were like Shrek and Susan Boyle. So who was I getting compared to in school? Shrek and Susan Boyle. So it it was really sad. And that's when I started seeing not only this kind of 
subtext of like, is there like beef between England and Scotland? Have 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 we done something wrong? Or are you know, have I upset anyone or um anything like that? But I also saw me getting bullied for still having the Velcro trainers and still having a bowl cut because you know, when you're say twelve or something, some people mature faster than others, and I'd not formed a sense of style yet, so <laughs> I, I was still trying to work out and just trying to be myself. And it was sad that other people wouldn't let me do that, mm. you know. And you seem to be most offended by being called ginger in a way. What was what yeah, was wrong with that? Let me tell you why, right? Because it's factually incorrect. <laughs> That's why I've nothing against gingers. I'm so, what's your natural colour? Because we can, at the moment it's purple. Yeah, now it's yes, now it's purple. Um, it's always purple. I don't know what you're talking <laughs> about. No, um, so I'm naturally brown. Um, and I never was. I was never mousy. You know, bloat. Oh, deep chestnut. Deep chestnut. Yeah. No, but I love chestnuts. <laughs> um, but, um, you yeah, know, I've, I've always been brown haired, like very brown. Not auburn. Mm, definitely not ginger. Like yeah, so it, it was just so baffling to me why people would call me that. And and it was always... I, I remember speaking to my mum initially as well, coming back from school. And my mum would say when she was thin at school, she was made fun of for being too thin. When she then gained a bit of weight, she was made fun of for being too fat. So, you know, that's when my mum kind of tried telling me, you know, these people will find any way to bully you. So it's not about how correct they are or how much they've got you or whatever. They'll just say stuff for the sake of it. And why did Doctor Who become your solace? Because it's, it's an interesting one, isn't it? It is, it is weird. Because it could have I been suppose... Shrek, because actually Shrek's quite a good story. Yeah, Shrek is a good I'd story. I'd have owned that one. It's... I'd have taken it on board. Yeah. <laughs> this, that's based on my book. No, um, but I love Doctor Who so much because if you think about it, right, Doctor Who, the Doctor is an outsider. And the Doctor goes to these fabulous planets and meets these fabulous aliens that are dressed, you know, in crazy costumes and crazy outfits and are different races and different creatures and some are nasty some are nice but the doctor treats them with kindness first you know he never just goes in with a gun that's always his principle and I think that's something I really related to and I wish that more of the world had that kindness because if you look at um science fiction say like star wars isn't it insane that star wars is set in a fantastical world where people are walking down the street next to people of different races different you know planets and all, all that stuff and they're able to live in harmony yet we're not able to live in harmony walking down the street when we see someone who's gay or someone who's trans or someone who's poc you know there's still that um kind of uh hate towards people who are different whereas in Doctor Who and Star Wars it's celebrated you know mm. so did you try and fit in when you were a boy or did you always want to be an outsider almost were you defiant about that and proud of it I, I guess I took I, I, I was proud of being different it, it comes and goes I think when you're bullied you go through all the kind of ranges of emotions. You go through feeling really down. You go from feeling like, yeah, I'm going to be me 100% no matter what you say. But then there's days you're like, please, can this just be over? I, I remember being so funny and I would love making my mum laugh and my dad laugh. But I remember it was, you know, going into secondary school, I lost that sense of humour because I, I, I'd been... 
I, you know, hit by so many people. I'd been tripped up by so many people. I remember one time in school, I got tied to a tree. Oh, Do you know what I mean? Oh. It's crazy. So it kind of Awful. been beaten out of me, that kind of sense of humour. But I'm even more so reading back everything that I've experienced now. I'm so glad that I overcame it. And all those games of like British Bulldog and Dodgeball, which are absolute hell for quite a lot of children, oh. must have been really bad for you. Was P your worst nightmare? You once said that it was ex- an exercise for straights to bully queer kids. Oh, it really uh, it is. Like though. Oh, it really is. See, there is nothing worse because it starts off by having to get changed in a room full of other people where they make fun of your underwear. They make fun of your, your fat stomach or they make fun of your thin stomach. You, you know, whatever. It, it was always the teasing in the kind of locker room before you've even gone out on the pitch. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So, and then I was always picked last in PE because I hated it. I hate physical education and me. Are you kidding me? Oh, <laughs> it's the name of my next book. Um, I, I hated it though. And I, everyone else knew I hated it. And I, I did notice a lot of... Um, you know, maybe people trying to, um, you know, kick the ball at me to hurt me and get away with it because they mm. were playing the game. You know, they th- that was their excuse. Um, so it was it was a shame that they did that. But um, I mean, the way I overcame that was I just stopped doing PE. Mm. I would try and get my mum to write as many sick notes. You know, sorry, Lawrence, um, can't do PE this week. Well, why not, um, Mrs. Maidman? Oh, um. You know, Lawrence just uh, Lawrence has injured uh, their uh, their ankle. Yeah, that that's what Lawrence has done. Yeah, Lawrence has injured his ankle. So, what was the worst example of bullying? What was the worst thing that happened to you? Um, God, the, which time? I remember there was a time in the last year of primary school when we'd moved down to Newbury, um, where dreams are made of, and uh, I remember at lunchtime. All the kids took off their, oh, what do you call it? You know, the, the jumpers with the logo of the school on it. You've got a polo top underneath. They took them off and they like whirled them up and started like whacking me with them. Oh. It was awful. And then everyone joined in and it was like, where do I go? Where do I run when it's an entire class? Mm-hmm. How are you meant to, you know, fight back? How are you meant to stop it? And also it meant, it was impossible to pull anyone up for it as well because the teacher would have to what give detention to the whole class. Mm. So Except it, it you, just, which is even worse. Yeah, exactly. So then I'd get picked on more. So mm. it, they just kind of never really did anything um, to to help mm. uh, in these situations. I remember another thing was when my gran passed away. My gran is just so, so amazing. But when she passed away in 2010... I remember we took a few days off school and then obviously word had gotten around why I was off. And then when I came back, someone said that they were going to pee on my grand's grave. <gasps> and I just remember thinking, why are you bringing my gran into it? Mm. Like, you can hate me all you want. You can think I'm the worst human being or you can think, you can think that for the right reasons as well. Mm. I'm not saying I'm perfect either. So... I just remember being like, why are you bringing my gran into that? And that was another moment where I kind of snapped and I was like, no one will pull you up for this. No one's going to defend me. So I defended me. And it was the one time I've ever, like, floored someone. Really? The one was time. Was it satisfying? 
It was it was satisfying, but it, it was one of those ones. Would I do it now? No, of course not. Mm. With hindsight, how many things we would not do, you know? But in that moment, I just remember thinking, what has my grand done mm. to deserve this? If I... I just thought of, like, my mum's mum. You know, if my mum heard something said about her mum like that, my mum would be so mm. upset. And I, I was like, oh, you, you've, like insulted the family you will I almost went a wee bit godfather you know you've insulted my family how dare you um but your grand was your icon wasn't she because you call her the wee purple blob yes we all called her the wee purple blob she was so so lovely and supportive and again she taught me how to paint she taught me how to draw and that's probably why I'm so good at makeup now is because of the kind of base steps she set out of how to draw a face how to get everything symmetrical all these kind of little tools and I remember I would always go over to her with a, a finished drawing and she'd go no 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 let me fix it for you so this needs to be like this it needs to be higher and she would always take time to teach me and there's a great picture in the book of my gran doing that exactly that she's got a picture and she's going no fix this fix this <laughs> and it helped because she wasn't just this fake person that went oh that's amazing isn't that great she knew that i had something and she wanted it to be better mm. you know and um I just, I love her. And and she had such a lovely energy. She always wore purple. So when she passed away, I, I wanted to carry on her purple reign mm. for her. So, um, and, and I must say, I do suit purple as well. Yeah, so, you've got a lot of it on yeah. <laughs> So what effect did it have on your mental health being bullied over so many years like that? You must have been terribly unhappy. <sighs> that That is the question, isn't it? And I think... That needs to be spoken about so much. And I'm so glad to both of you for talking about this as well, because it mental health is not focused on enough. Um, it's often like, well, you, you know, did they break your arm? Did they leave you for dead, bloody or whatever? But there's so many like mental impacts that it has on you. Just being bullied, just being, you, you know, someone going, you're a... Scottish ginger, whatever mm. that leaves an impression on you. Mm. It leaves a layer of shame. It leaves a layer of resentment to yourself. So I remember after school, I had to go in, into counselling. Really, um, I, I went and got a CBT, a cognitive behavioural therapy, and it really worked. Obviously, it doesn't work for everyone. Different things will work for different people, but it really sorted me out because I had trouble from leaving school you know going into the real world where you would work and meet different people i struggled letting them in so for example um i if someone said oh, i love i love your makeup today or i love your hair or i love something i would always think that was a snarky comment you know yeah. that then you'd go oh thank you and they go joke and oh. you look like crap right. or something you know yeah. I thought it was always people. a set up mm. to, to something nasty and I remember it, it was in a school play at college uh, that we were doing um, where they knew I could sew and classmates were like Lawrence could you sew me an outfit for this could you do me an outfit and I remember thinking why do people that hate me want me to make an outfit for them what, what, what does that mean and then literally my counsellor was like well break it down right 
think about why they're asking you are they not just asking you because they've seen that you're good at this and they like you and they like your work and they're just trying to like get something fabulous made by you and I went oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah it CBT helped me kind of reform these um pathways in my brain to like speaking to people again because your so parents was, were so worried about you they took you back to Scotland didn't they and yeah then, I mean, crazy what in the end what was it do you think that helped at that school because you came back and actually instead of fitting in you were like the new boy game but you were like the new boy oh boys. yeah well I, I, I again when I went back to Scotland I never fitted in again mm. but the difference was when the bullying started like for example someone threw a bible at me in RE class and they threw it at me and it really hurt and I just snapped I was like if I'm sitting here in silence and you're going to throw a book at me, it doesn't matter if I sing, dance, whatever, you're still going to throw a book at me. You're still going to trip me up. You're still going to. So I turned around, I picked up that book and I threw it right back at them and I said, here's to the second coming. <laughs> and when I tell you the class erupted in laughter because they didn't expect it, the class were laughing so much. And literally the person that threw the book at me said, fair play. So, so humour became your way it. to it overcome it. Reclaimed it, yeah. it all completely, mm. and within the space of a day, I went from the Velcro-haired, bowl-cut weirdo who was in Scotland, then went down to England. So I never fitted in. I went to being the iconic, you know, funny one who was so funny and a legend and all this stuff. It was so, so surreal, so surreal. But that's when I knew that. Humour was what I wanted to yeah. deal in for mm. the rest of my life. And you say in your new book that you feel like you were coming out of the closet, but as a comedian. Yes! And I love <laughs> that, that sense that, you know, are most comedians, do you think, trying to fit in? And do they use being funny as a defensive weapon? Is that how people use it? Do you think that it actually it's a way of, of being other, of, of transforming yourself when you're at a low quite often? Yeah, I mean, we all do it, don't we? We all do it in social situations. If Maybe if a friend's overstepped the mark, we'll make a joke that's a bit passive aggressive so they know they've overstepped the mark <laughs> you know we we all do it in, in every kind of situation so i think that's why a lot of people can relate to that making a joke about something and i think it's a really important skill to have i think it's the most sociable skill to have it's draining because when you're out or when you're at a party or when you're at school everyone puts the weight of the conversation on you so you're the one that's meant to uplift everyone. No one's uplifting me. You're meant to be the one that uplifts everyone, makes it easier, you know, makes the conversation easier for them. Um, but I, I love it. I, I think it's when I felt everyone laughing in that classroom with me, I felt um, this euphoria, this um, uh, amazing feeling. And uh, I, I, I still remember it. I still can you know, feel that energy and um, th there is nothing like it. There's nothing as powerful as that energy. But you still hadn't told anyone you were gay. Did, <laughs> did you think you were straight or did you just not really think about it? Did you wonder why you like cabaret rather than football? Yeah, <laughs> yeah just a little bit. <laughs> when the, in the beginning, I knew I was different. It had been drilled into me. I was different, all that. But I remember there just being such a negative connotation around the word gay. I couldn't even say it, you know, from, from a young age. You know, uh, people would say an insult, you know, that's so gay or, oh, don't be gay. Stop being gay. 
you know, and, and, and they would use that as an insult. So I remember thinking, oh, that's a gross word, what a horrible word. Whereas I love, I love being gay now, do you know <laughs> what I mean? But um, something that uh, I, I think, you know, with the word gay, it took me so long to come to terms with it because in mainstream media as well, there aren't a lot of gay people to look up to or there weren't a lot of gay people to look up to back then. Because if you watch Disney films growing up, it's always a princess and a prince. So I remember always thinking, you know, when it got to kind of the puberty era, I remember thinking, oh, well, I do think men are attractive, but I'm still going to marry a woman. That, that's got to be how it is, right? But actually, that's not how it is, you know. And, and I remember thinking I liked girls in school, but then I was like, no, I don't like those girls. I'm forcing myself to to think this girl is attractive to me. This girl is fabulous. You know, she mm. looks great, but not in the way another you know, boy would look up to a woman they liked. listening to Past Imperfect with Rachel Sylvester, Alice Thompson and our guest this week, drag superstar Lawrence Cheney. We'll be back after this. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome back to Past Imperfect with Alice Thompson, Rachel Sylvester and our guest this week, drag superstar Lawrence Cheney. Why do you think you um, started doing drag before you decided to come out as gay? Was it more acceptable in a way at that time in Glasgow? I don't, I don't know if it was more acceptable. I think it was because my mum loved... You know, people like Dick Emery, Matt Lucas, David Williams, Stanley Baxter, these comedians who would do drag as part of their act. And I remember thinking it's easier to explain to my parents that it's a comedy thing, which it is. It is a comedy thing. It is about being funny. But it's it's a big thing about drag when you look as glamorous as I do. (laughs) I know. But a lot of people would then jump to the conclusion that it's sexual. And it's not... Yeah. Listen, for some people it could be, it can be. I'm not saying what it is for anyone else. But for me, it just never was. Mm. So I 
always knew that it was for the comedy and for that humour side. But I knew that I needed to convince my parents just so they weren't, you know, just so they knew more about what was in my head rather than me hiding it from them. And then I, I remember also being quite bitter that straight people don't need to come out as well. Mm. I mean, are, are both of you straight? Yes. So straight. My eldest son um, is gay and he did come out, but he feels like you. He felt that he didn't have to. I Why? It's such a loaded that, term, isn't it? I it's hate a... that need to come out. Yeah. Be- because I, I, you know, like I say in the book, I told myself... I'm not coming out until I have a reason to come out. I'm not coming out until I've got a boyfriend. But straight people some... never have a reason to come out. They never out, have they? a reason to you come out. You don't have to do it. You, you never go, Mum, I'm straight. <laughs> I like lassies. You, you know, there's never anything like that. But, you know, with gay people, with yeah. trans people, with yeah. you know, all well, the We were you know, doing karaoke people. in Tokyo, and my 16 year old son suddenly said, Oh, I've got a celebration I want to have tonight. And, and really? it was very often. It actually worked while we were doing karaoke, really. But that, 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 that makes sense, though, because it, it had a point. Yes. Whereas I feel like if you just walk downstairs to what the living room and go, Mum, Dad, and they're watching Coronation <laughs> Street. And you interrupt Coronation Street just to tell them that you're gay or you're trans or you're bisexual or whatever. I, my my mum would be like, "You're you're making me miss my Coronation <laughs> Street for something I already knew, Lawrence." But but you know, when it came to coming out, my parents were very very supportive. So what did they say? Well, I was very nervous. It was one of those things where, no matter how much you know, your parents will be supportive. It was always very. It's an emotional thing because, you know, it's a very kind of finite thing to do. It's, a, it's the line in the sand. It's this is who I am, like it or lump it, really. And um, I remember I told my sister first, Tamsin. I told her I went up to her room and I said, Tamsin, I've, I've got to tell you, I'm gay. I don't know if you know this. And she was like, aha, uh-huh. yes, Lawrence, we all know that. <laughs> yes, we can smell it off you. I said, do you think mum will mind? You know, do you think mum will be fine? And she was like, mum won't care. Mum will not care. She'll be absolutely fine. Um, and I said, what about dad? And she said, oh, I don't know about dad because dad, dad doesn't talk much. You know? <laughs> yeah. I make it sound like my dad's a mute, but he, he just doesn't talk about much, you know, many things. So I went downstairs and I said, mum, I need to tell you something. I'm gay. I've got a boyfriend. Because I had a boyfriend at the time. And I was sick of hiding it. I was like, I've got to tell my mum. And my mum was so lovely. She just said all the right things, you know. Especially when you're emotional. She was like, I'm so glad you want to share your true self with us. That means the world to me. You know, I love you so much. You are just an amazing human being. Just said the most lovely thing. I said, okay, mum. Can you tell dad? You know, go and tell dad. And my mum said, Lawrence, I won't do that. This is your news. You need to tell your dad. This is about you. It's your thing. Your dad will love you for you. Just remember that. Do you want me to bring him through from the conservatory? I said, yeah, yeah. Okay, mum. Yeah, do that. She said, right, Lawrence, I won't be a second. Nick! (laughs) Your son wants to tell you he's gay. Hurry up, come through. Come on! Right, Lawrence, you won't be a minute. And I remember being like, mum, what have you done? And then my dad crosses through and, you know, because he doesn't say much, he just goes, right, Lawrence, let's go to the shops. And I was like, this is four more words than he usually says. Am I in trouble? What's happening? I thought we got in the car to go to the shops. I thought he was going to leave me in a ditch for dead. 
but he was so lovely. He was like, what's your boyfriend's name? You know, we need to have him over, you know, for dinner. I was like, dad, please don't eat him. You know, <laughs> it was it was really, really nice. So I, I, it was just the, the perfect experience. And how do you differentiate between your drag persona and your everyday Lawrence? Or are they one and the same? Is it a kind of protective shell? Or... Yeah, I, I suppose I, I see myself as like invincible when I've got the lashes on, but it's it's really just an extension of of who I am. It's it's that you know bullied kid who um, you know threw a Bible back at someone, um, you know, but just with a wig on. And um, I, I will say it helps. Drag helps me be more body confident. It helps me be more um, appreciative of who I am as a person physically because um I'm I'm I love every curve of my body, I love every stretch mark I have. And and before, you know, it's like, oh why have I got stretch marks? Why am I fat? What am I doing? All this stuff. But now I appreciate it. I see it as well, this is me. Like I'm I'm hated PE. I'm not gonna run around and pretend I like P E anymore, you know, I'm I'm done, you know. I'll I'll I'm fine with cake. You know, cake is a-okay with me. And you've talked about how tenacious you have to be to be a queer person. Do you think, actually, it's an asset in the end, that it's helped you, it's defined you, it's made you who you are? Oh, a hundred percent. A hundred percent. I think drag is a hundred percent, you know, my everything. It's it's the reason I'm still here today. It's It's what saved me. And how did you know you weren't transgender? Did you ever think you might be or explore that? Oh, all? absolutely. Absolutely. I think... That's the amazing thing about drag is drag. Think how many people it takes them a lifetime to know if they are gay, mm. if they are uh, trans. You know, there's loads of people. Philip Schofield recently obviously came out as, as gay. And it takes people a long time to figure that out about themselves or be comfortable with it. And, and that is insane to me because drag gets that over and done with so quickly, you know, um, because it's it's you at your rawest form. So I remember thinking very briefly that I was uh, trans. And I remember thinking, what does that mean? What, do, what does being trans mean? What, what, what do I do? What, you know, do I need to transition immediately? What, what is it, you know? And it was, you know, I would talk to people and I remember being so caught up and focused on being that finished product. Well, I can't talk about it until, you know, I know exactly what box to put myself in mm. for other people. But the truth is, we don't need to be finished products. We're never going to be finished products until we're probably on our deathbeds mm. or something, you know. So I, I, I'm nervous about that part in the book about kind of coming out because I would see myself as very fluid Um uh, you know, very kind of gender fluid. So um, they, them, I, I, and again, it, it it weirded me out because so many people, um, when I was being judged on Drag Race, RuPaul would call me he, and then Michelle would call yes. me she. So there was no definitive pronoun. And I remember being like, is that wrong? What's going on there? Mm -hmm. What should I do? What's What does that mean? But the truth is, like, it's just what it means to you. It's how you feel... Mm -hmm. No one is more or less trans than anyone. No one's more gay than anyone. It's it's not a. It doesn't work like that. You are valid in 
in in being you. Mm. you know? Do you think most men would like to dress up more? And that actually, if you look back over centuries, that they did dress up more, that we become so conformist and that the idea that all men have to wear suits and that... Oh, that, my God. And mm. women have to wear skirts. Yeah. And it's just a crazy, crazy... But at least women can wear trousers. It's kind of weird that we've stopped men wearing skirts and dresses. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. Back, back in, like, the Roman times, they would wear these big kind of drapey, you know, gowns and stuff. But it is weird. I think drag, like I said, it reveals so much about yourself. I would advise everyone to do drag just because it's so freeing. You know, you, you find out so much more about yourself. Some stuff you won't like, some stuff you will like. And it's just so rewarding. So even if it's in the privacy of your own home, if it's out at the club, if it's on Halloween, if it's at Christmas or whatever, I think drag is a really important thing. That and more British men seem to be particularly into dressing up, don't they? They're, they're yeah. very staid, but I think because they're so staid, there's a thing that whenever I, you know, I've got loads of male friends that as soon as they put on a miniskirt, their whole life changes. Really. It's, it's, but see, that is the power of drag. That is the power of wearing clothes that you want to wear in that moment that's that's what it is and um I, I i don't know i just think more people should experience that and not get crap for it mm. you know do you ever think that, that drag almost does a stereotype version of women so it's all heels and it's long nails and lots of makeup and actually here we are in our no makeup and our flats <laughs> and our trousers i don't know what you mean <laughs> no I, I mean i would say drag is a very broad art form so i would say some drag is very like what you just said so the conventional form of drag that we see on rupaul's drag race is the corseted waist the big hips padded very like marilyn monroe mm. very like that and you know big lashes and big shiny lips and all Quite that sort of beauty pageant yeah almost. beauty pageant mm. and it, that is one facet of it but there's also drag queens who are maybe less well known who do drag uh, and it's completely not that or there's drag kings as well mm. you know women who dress up as as you know men um there's also cisgender female drag queens like the one uh victoria scone is competing on the new season of drag race and she's female so it, it truly is something i think everyone can be part mm. of i don't that that's the thing drag is something i went through when i felt excluded from society I never want anyone to feel excluded through drag. I don't want you to think you can't do drag. Anyone could do what is drag? How would you really define drag? Really? You, you know, um so I, I just say have fun with it and anyone can give it a go. How did you choose your name? Because actually you've kept your first name, which is quite different from most. Yeah, drag. oh yeah. Mo most drag queens go for the you know penetration or, or things like that and I, I always knew like I said to you before I wanted to be famous from a very early age so I knew that you know you are not getting on daytime television you're not going to become the next Lorraine Kelly if your name is like Cupid Stunt or something <laughs> that's not happening um, so I, I knew that I wanted something that would work for me and then it was it was my mum was watching silent movies one night and she saw um, it was Phantom of the Opera and it starred Lon Chaney who was known as the man of a thousand faces he did his own makeup he did his own wigs and he transformed himself sometimes in drag sometimes into a monster sometimes into all these fascinating kind of creatures and beings and I just loved that and I remember going 
Lon Cheney, Lawrence Cheney, Lawrence Cheney, and it just clicked. I think Lawrence Cheney sounds like a superstar's name rather than my real name is Lawrence Edward Maidment. That ain't, <laughs> that ain't the name of a superstar. Do you know what I mean? That's the name of someone who works down the baiting office or something, you know? <laughs> So how did you learn to do the makeup after your mum showed you the basics? Yeah, I mean, self-taught, truly, truly. I mean, I watched YouTube tutorials, but even back then, you're talking, what, 2014, there wasn't that many YouTubers that were drag queens doing videos, teaching you all this stuff, so... Can we see you on YouTube now? Oh, yes, we can. Because I want the eyebrows, actually. Oh, oh, I'll sort you out. Did you have to bleach your other one? No, I shave mine off. Okay. Dedication. But you can, you can like cover them. You can bleach them. You can see if you get like a spoolie with some foundation, you can also flick through them and it makes them disappear, obviously, because they go nude. Um, but uh, where, where were we? What, what were we Learning makeup. How Learning makeup. makeup. That's where we were. Um, yeah, no, I, I learned it all myself. And uh, that that's why it was such a long process of acrylic paint and all that. that that's why it took mm. so long. But I'm very happy with this result now, you know. So when you were on Drag Race, someone messaged you from your secondary school and they'd seen you on television. They said, you're doing such an amazing job. I just wanted to say I finally get it. Yeah. How did that make you feel? In the moment, it feels like a total slap in the face, obviously. And I remember that person had stood by and watched me get tripped up in the hall. And I remember I would kind of speak out about it and they'd be like, aren't you just attention seeking? That's what this is. You're just attention seeking. And I remember being like, no, it's not attention seeking. Someone tripped me up in the Mm. corridor. Like you would be angry if someone did that to you. But suddenly it took them seeing me do my thing on TV um, you know they suddenly get it and I met that with like oh thank you so much I appreciate that hope you're doing well rather than like ha 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 you because if you say something like that to someone it means they'll go home if you swear at them and you're rude to them they'll go well I was right about you you are nasty oh you don't deserve that whereas now that person's children will now grow up in a more supporting environment, mm. a more loving environment of whoever they turn out to be, you know. So that that's what I was thinking of. If if we just treat people with more kindness generally, then that kindness will breed more kindness. But there must be some weird downsides to being a celebrity, like when you're on dating sites and everyone knows who you are. Oh, it's awful. <laughs> oh, it's terrible. There's So for, for me right now, there's Grindr and there's Tinder. Which is better? They're both cesspits. They are both awful. You're talking to um, two complete novices here. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. No, and so on both, you have to explain your personality, what you're looking for, what you look for in a person, what you're after, all that, in about a hundred characters. So you've got to, you know, write this out in like a sentence, tiny, 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 so small. So it ends up being gobbledygook that you're you know it's so 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 what's yours mine's like um i won that reality show dot 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 coach trip um <laughs> and then um i because I, this is the other thing people get me to send them voice notes on on dating apps and listen if you're a fan i love it and i love talking to my fans on instagram twitter if you're on a dating app or on a hookup app, or something like that. You're not looking for someone to be a fan. You're looking for someone 
to get with <laughs> or to go on a date with. So my idea of a, a lovely day out is not sending voice notes to someone. And it's all because on Drag Race, RuPaul said my name, you know, RuPaul went, Lawrence Cheney, and put on this weird Scottish accent, which I love. But everyone wants to hear me do that. They want to hear Lawrence Cheney on a voice note. Yeah. If I sent that many voice notes, I think my tongue would fall out. <laughs> so it, it's just impossible. But it was even like I went on a date just before Drag Race and I was on an ad campaign in Glasgow for the subways, you know, the underground in, in Glasgow. And there was a big poster of me in drag on, on a subway screen. And we're walking down the street and this, he said to me, oh, what was, what did you do for work? And I went, <laughs> that. <laughs> and you, it's so weird because people react in one or two ways. They'll either be like, oh, I, I'm not into that because they think it's a sexual thing or something like that. Oh, I'm not, I'm not into that. I'm masculine. I, I'm not into that. Or they'll be your biggest fan and they'll be like oh my god queen i love you so much girl oh my god yes you look amazing and it's like so what did the guy say when he saw you he he was yes this thing you look amazing (laughs) needless to say we don't talk much anymore (laughs) but um he was very lovely but just not a not a husband material should we say (laughs) um but it's 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 hard dating especially now because you don't know like I know some people who I was maybe interested in before Drag Race, but they were never interested in me. And now they are so interested in me. They're like, oh, can I come over to yours? I'll, I'll do anything to come over to yours. And I'm like, yeah, because you want to have a look at the crown and scepter of RuPaul's Drag Race. That's why you want to come over. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's hard to figure out people's intentions. But luckily, because I'm a CBT, I think my mind's dealing with it pretty well pretty well so it must have completely changed your life hasn't it winning drag race but i mean it's the most full circle thing ever going from being a fan of the show to winning it is mind-blowing and um it's it's wild i remember we filmed drag race during the pandemic we had to break for the pandemic but we filmed it um what takes two weeks to film like half a season so we filmed two weeks had to break for covid and then we came back and finished it off and then we had about two months before it aired and that two months i was so broke i couldn't pay my rent i couldn't pay my council tax and i was at real rock bottom Mm. and think like i'd just filmed myself winning drag race and like think how amazingly positive that was and i was so broke and then suddenly Drag Race came along and I hit and people liked me, I suppose. And I have paid my rent, which is great. And do you struggle at all with self-image now in that you know, not only have we got an issue with gays, but we are have got an issue with weight and people being impossibly thin. Do you feel that you <coughs> are praying pressurised to be thinner or not? Or do you think in drag it doesn't matter at all? I think people care. But I, I truly don't care. I think I look amazing. I know it sounds terribly vain, but I, I really think I look amazing in drag. But it's such a shame that it's it's all because we grew up in a society. I mean, if you think, say, 10 years ago, we had Gillian McKeith on our TV telling us we couldn't be too thin or too fat. We had, you know, super fat versus super skinny. We have all these, you know, the Chawners, the documentary about people that are too fat, too thin, all this stuff. So I think naturally sadly we're still used to 
giving people a hard time for whatever their body looks like. Think about embarrassing bodies. People would go in with a mole and then they'd be shamed for having a mole. Mm. What's wrong with having a mole? Mm. I'd draw them on, you know, as part of my makeup. So it's it's something I hope that society catches up with. You, you know, that no matter what body shape, size, colour you are, it's you're just you and you're allowed to be you. And have you shown in a way that you can overcome, you can take a bad experience and a bad beginning and turn it into something positive? And- I hope so. I've turned it into a 256-page book. <laughs> That's what I've turned it into. Wallop. Um, no, d- definitely. I mean, obviously, um, it, it blew my mind reading it, how full circle that story is. Yeah, what would you now say to that sort of nerdy 10-year-old <laughs> child with a pudding bowl cut? keep watching Doctor Who, uh, especially that episode with the Daleks. That's fabulous. <laughs> um, no, I would say to not... I would say what the counsellor told me when I started CBT, which is stop trying to look for reasons why people don't like you. If people don't like you, they'll let their intentions be known. But don't go into every situation thinking everyone hates you. Because normally, like like we've just met and we're meeting each other at face value and we're being nice and we're having a great conversation. There, there's no secret meaning behind it or anything. So that's how it should be. So I think that is the main thing I would advise little Lawrence And what do. advice would you have for a, a young boy with a dream for sequins and feathers and lashes now? <laughs> Go and do it. If I can do it and I can't sing or dance and I just got here on a few fart jokes and a dream, <laughs> anyone can do it. Truthfully, from from tiny town in the middle of rural Scotland to the main stage of RuPaul's Drag Race. I'm go- I mean, next year I'm touring um, New Zealand, Australia, Canada, the US. I'm going to LA to film a series in a few weeks. So it is possible. You don't need to be the, the child of a mega director or anything like that. You can make it. Lawrence Cheney, thank you very much. Thank you both so much for having me, honestly. You've been listening to Past Imperfect with Alice Thompson, Rachel Sylvester and our guest this week, RuPaul's Drag Race winner, Lawrence Cheney. This has been a Wireless Studios production for Times Radio, produced by Ben Mitchell. To make sure you never miss an episode, you can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and listen back to our previous guests on the Times Radio app. We'll be back with another Past Imperfect next week. Until next time, thanks for listening. If you've been affected by any of the issues raised in this episode or others in the series, please go to our podcast page or website where there are links to charities and organisations who are there to help. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 